117th sign. Mansanaria, by the name of Malawamul, contracted tuberculosis and his condition was becoming increasingly hopeless. He saw in a dream that he was bitten by a poisonous snake. Having despaired of his life, he came to me one day and cried for help. I prayed for him and received the answer, meaning that we told the fire of fever to be cold and peaceful. So he recovered from his illness within a week and is still alive. Footnote start. This reference text appears in Rohani Chazain, Volume 1, page 252, published in 2008. Footnote end. However, I am certain that this testimony will also require an oath. 118th sign. Once when I was in Gurdaspur in connection with a criminal case which Karam Deen of Jhelum had filed against me, I received the revelation, meaning that they will inquire about your stature, that is what your stature and rank is. Say, it is God who has bestowed this rank upon me, and then leave them to their frivolities. So I communicated this revelation to the Jamaat, who happened to be with me at Gurdaspur, and were no less than 40 in number, including Maulvi Muhammad Ali M.A. and Khwaja Kamal Luddin B.A., the pleader. Later, when we went to the court, the lawyer representing the plaintiffs asked me the same question, namely, is your status and station such as is described in the book Tiriyakul Qulub? Footnote start. This is a mistake. It should be Tufai Gularuya. We have obtained the certified copy of the court file of the case of Hakim Fadl Din versus Morvi Abdul Fadl Muhammad Karam Uddin Dabir of unknown parentage, resident of village Bhin Tehsil Chakwal district Jhelum. It contains the words, Tofai Golarvia is my composition. It was published on the 1st of September 1902. It was written in refutation of Bir Meher Ali, but not in response to Sefajistiyai. Question, is what you have said about certain persons on my page 48 to 50 of this book applicable to you? Answer, by God's grace and mercy it is applicable to me. Footnote end. I said, yes, by God's grace this is the situation. It is he who has bestowed this situation upon me. With this, the revelation I had received in the morning was fulfilled close to Asr, late afternoon prayer, and led to enhancing the faith of Allah Jamaat. 119th sign. It so happened in the year 1900 that one of my paternal cousins, Imamuddin, who was bitterly opposed to me, created the notions that he built a wall across the front of our house in such a location that the access to the mosque was blocked and the guests who came to see me in my sitting room or came to the mosque were stopped from coming. Thus my Jamaat and I suffered great hardships as if we were besieged. Left with no other option, we filed a complaint in the civil court of Munshi Khudabakhsh, district judge. After the complaint had been filed, we learned that this case was not winnable. The difficulty in it was that, with regard to the land on which the wall had been erected, it was established by the decree of some earlier time that Imamuddin, the defendant, had long been in possession of. The piece of land had originally belonged to another co-sharer by the name of Ghulam Jilani, but it had gone out of his possession and he had sued in the civil court at Gurdaspur with the plea that Imamuddin was the Caesar. The suit was dismissed on the basis of evidence of adverse possession. Since then, Imamuddin had continued to be in possession of it. Now Imamuddin had erected a wall on the same land claiming that it was his land. 
Thus, after we had filed the suit, review of an old decree placed such an insoluble problem for us that clearly indicated that our claim would be dismissed for, as I have mentioned, this old decree established that Imamuddin was in possession of that land. In face of this grave difficulty, our lawyer Khwaja Kamaluddin had advised us to settle the matter through compromise. That is to say, we should appease Imamuddin by offering him some money. I had reluctantly agreed to this suggestion, but he was not a person who would agree. He harbored a personal grudge against me and indeed against the faith of Islam itself. He had realized that we had no way to sue him and therefore became even worse in his mischief. In the end, we resigned the matter to God Almighty. But as far as we and our advocate were concerned, we knew that there was no chance of success for the old decree established the possession of Imamuddin. And Imamuddin had such an evil intention that he would resist and hurl abuses in the courtyard in front of our house where our visitors, yakas, horse-drawn carriages arrived. What is worse, he had also planned that after our case had been dismissed, he would erect a long wall in front of the doors of our house in order to besiege us like prisoners and make it impossible for us to exit our houses or go out. These were days of great anxiety for us, so much so that the situation described in the following words applied to us perfectly. The earth seemed too narrow for them, despite all its vastness. Surah Tawbah, chapter 9, verse 118 of the Holy Quran. It was a calamity that had appeared out of nowhere. Thus, supplication was made in the court of Allah, and help was sought from him. Then, after the supplication, I received the revelation which follows. These revelations are not of different times, but were revealed together at one time. I remembered that at that time, Sayyid Fadl Shah of Lahore, brother of Sayyid Nasir Shah, an overseer stationed at Baramula Kashmir, was kneading my feet. It was noontime when this series of revelations relating to the case pertaining to the wall began. I told Sayyid Fazal Shah that this revelation was about the lawsuit relating to the wall and he should write it down as it was revealed. He therefore took the pen and paper. It so happened that every time divine revelation would come sentence by sentence while a state of drowsiness overtook, as is the way of God, and after one sentence was completed and written down, drowsiness would reoccur and the next sentence of divine revelation would flow from my tongue until the entire divine revelation had descended and had it written down by the pen of Sayyid Fadl Shah of Lahore. Footnote. The state of drowsiness at the time of divine revelation is also a supernormal phenomenon. It is not brought about by physical causes of the body. Whenever it is required, drowsiness comes about merely by the providence of the time of need and prayer. Material causes have nothing to do with it. This refutes the doctrine of Arya Samajists, because they confine human life and the chain of all events to physical causes. This is why they do not believe that something can come out of nothing. According to them, for the manifestation of anything, existence of a physical cause is a must. Incidentally, it also proves that they deny God's revelation too. Footnote end. In it, I was given to understand that it is related to the wall that had been erected by Imamuddin, the case pertaining to which was pending in court, and I was made to understand that in the end victory would be ours in this case. So I announced this revelation from God to a large number of my followers and informed them of its meaning and the occasion of its revelation. They were also published in a hakam, and I told everyone that, though the case appeared hopeless, God Almighty would create the means whereby we would win, 
for such indeed was the sum and substance of the revelation from Allah. I will now write the text of this revelation from Allah along with its translation. It is as follows. Translation. The mill shall revolve and divine decree shall descend, i.e. the case will take on a new aspect, quite like the revolving millstone when the visible part in front goes back and becomes invisible, and what was invisible before becomes visible in return. It means that in the present state of the lawsuit, the aspect of the case as perceived by the presiding judge, which is harmful and damaging to our interests, shall no longer remain so, and a different situation shall appear that shall be favorable to us. Just as the part of the revolving millstone that is in front of the face goes back and the part in the back comes in front of the face, so shall the hidden and concealed matters come in the front of the face and become visible, and what are visible shall become inconsequential and invisible. Then God added, This is the grace of God that has been promised. It certainly shall come. No one can dare to ward it off. That is, this matter has already been decreed in heaven that the present condition of the lawsuit, which exudes desperation and hopelessness, shall be removed at once, and an entirely new situation shall manifest that is hopeful to our plaint, and of this no one has any knowledge. Then God Almighty said, Say, I swear by God that this indeed is the truth, neither shall it change at all, nor shall it remain hidden. A matter will arise which will amaze you. This is the word of God, who is the God of the high heavens. My Lord does not deviate from the straight course that he practices with his exalted servants, and he does not forget about those of his servants who are deserving of help. So you will have a clear victory in this case, but this verdict is delayed until such time as has been preordained by God. You are with me, and I am with you. Say, all matters are in the control of my God. And then leave the opponent in his error, pride, and arrogance. This sentence of God's revelation is meant to provide solace. For after the lawsuit was filed, most of the jurists had come to realize that the plaint was baseless and that it would be certainly dismissed. And Imam Uddin, the respondent, had also been informed from every quarter that under the law, the door to our success was closed. For this reason, his arrogance had increased greatly, and he confidently claimed that the suit would be dismissed shortly. Rather, it was as good as dismissed. The mischief mongers supported him. Thus, the news had spread almost throughout the entire village that, according to our opponents, the case had been virtually decided in their favor. Therefore, God says in this context, Why do you show such pride and arrogance? Everything is in the control of God Almighty. He has dominion over everything. Then addressing me, he said, The All-Powerful is with you, and he knows all that is hidden. Indeed, even matters that are utmost secrets and beyond the comprehension of man are known to him. The sum of this sentence of God's revelation is that herein too lies a secret, which has so far remained unknown to you, your counsel, or the judge in whose court this case is pending. Then he said, This God alone is truly worthy of worship. There is none else worthy of worship. Man should not rely upon anyone else, as if he worshipped him. It is only God who has the qualification. He is the only one who knows everything and who sees everything. And that God is with those who adopt righteousness and fear him, and when they do something good, they attend to all its fine requirements. They do not do good superficially or in a flawed manner. Rather, they attend to its most subtle elements and perform it with perfection. 
Such are the ones whom God helps because they are in the service of his favorite paths. They tread them and help others to tread them. Then he said, We sent Ahmed, that is this humble one, to his people. But his people turned away from him and they said, He is a great liar, submerged in worldly greed. That is, profiting from such tricks, he wants to earn worldly gains by such and such machinations. They testified against him in courts to get him arrested, and they are falling upon him with their attacks like a strong flood that rushes down from above. But he says, My beloved is very near to me. He is near indeed, but is concealed from the eyes of the opponents. This was a prophecy that was made at a time when the opponents confidently claimed that the suit would surely be dismissed. With regard to me, they said that they would torment me by building the wall in front of all the doors of my house, such as to make me a virtual prisoner. As I have just mentioned, God informed me through this prophecy, I shall bring to light a fact because of which the conquered would become the conqueror, and the one who is the conqueror would become the conquered. This prophecy had been publicized so widely that some members of our Jama'at committed it to memory. Hundreds knew about it and wondered how it would come to pass. In short, no one can deny that this prophecy had been widely publicized beforehand, even months before the judgment. Having been published in the newspaper Al-Hakam, its news had reached people who lived far off in the country. Then came the day of judgment. Our opponents were jubilant that day that the order of the dismissal of the suit would be announced. They said that from then on they would find an opportunity to torment me in every conceivable manner. That indeed was the day when the true import of the statement of the prophecy that it is a matter concealed with which the case would turn around and it will be revealed in the end was to be exposed. It so happened that on that day our lawyer Khwaja Kamaluddin thought of examining the index, i.e. the appendix of the old file which contains a summary of the essential orders. When it was examined, what was discovered in it was something entirely unexpected. That is, the certified copy of the order of the competent authority was discovered to the effect that this land was not under the possession of Imamuddin alone, but also of Ghulam Murtada, i.e. my father. When this information was presented to the presiding judge, he ordered the index to be produced forthwith, and upon consulting it, the truth became evident to him. Therefore, he straightway passed a decree against Imamuddin with costs. Had that document not been produced before the competent authority, what option would he have except to dismiss the suit and would have to suffer at the hands of the malicious enemy? Such are the ways of God. Indeed, this prophecy comprises not one but two prophecies because firstly, there is the promise of the victory in it and secondly, there is the promise of exposing a secret matter that was concealed from everyone. It is with great pleasure and gratitude to God that we acknowledge that the providence of God also transformed the presiding judge of the case into a witness of the truth of this prophecy. He cannot dissociate himself from this testimony even though he, Sheikh the judge, is our religious opponent. He can testify that my counsel did not present this strong argument despite so many hearings and that it was only at the end of the case that this mystery was laid bare by the sheer grace of God. Thus anyone who happens to see the judgment of Sheikh Huda Baksh would at once realize that our council relied for a long time on evidence based on hearsay which did not hold water against the judicial verdict. The file which the respondent Imamuddin produced in order to establish his exclusive possession of the land 
contained only the name of Imamuddin. My father's name was not included in it. The secret lay in the fact that the original owner of the land, Ulam Jalani, did file the suit against Imamuddin and only Imamuddin had been named as the respondent in his complaint. And after receiving the news, my father, through his attorney, got his name to be registered as one of the respondents. The purport of it was that both of them were in possession of the property. Those documents had been lost through some mishap and only Mahmoudin's name was left as the respondent on the complaint of the plaintiff from which it was understood that Imaduddin alone was in possession of the land. This, therefore, was the hidden secret to which we were not privy. When God Almighty so willed, this hidden fact was brought to light with the help of the index. As foretold in the prophecy, the millstone turned in a moment. Obviously, with the movement of the millstone, that part of the millstone that is hidden from the eye presents itself to the eyes and what is in front becomes invisible. The same thing happened of this case. The issues that were before the judge earlier, namely that the plaintiff Ghulam Jilani in his plaint had indicated only Mahmoudin to be in possession, disappeared instantly with the presentation of the index, and quite like the hidden side of the millstone, new issues presented themselves. The hidden matter which God Almighty had promised in this prophecy to reveal disclosed itself. The fact of the matter is that the complaint filed by Ghulam Jilani belonged to a distant period over which some forty years had passed. That case belonged to my father's time. I knew nothing about it, since only Mahmoudin was named as the respondent in the plaintiff's complaint, and all other documents had been destroyed, and thirty years had passed, and meanwhile my father and after him my elder brother too had died. I had no knowledge of all these concealed matters. No one ought to think how great this prophecy is that is steeped in divine succor. We cannot vouch for the Islam of those who deny even such prophecies. What a pity that these people do not respect even divine succor. There was a time when the Christian ministers alleged out of their sheer prejudice that there was no prophecy in the Holy Quran. Muslim scholars did answer them, but the truth is that to refute the one who denies prophecies and extraordinary signs is a task that can be done only by the one who can himself show a prophecy. Otherwise, this matter cannot be settled merely by talk. Thus, when the denials of the Christian ministers reached the limits, God sent me to bring the Muhammadan argument to complete fulfillment. Where are the Christian ministers now to stand up to me? I did not come untimely. I came at a time when Islam was being trampled under the feet of Christians. O oh, ye blind ones, who has taught you to oppose the truth? Faith has been ruined. External attacks and internal innovations have wounded all the limbs of the faith, and 23 years of the 14th century have also passed. Millions of Muslims have renounced Islam and have become enemies of God and His Messenger. But you keep insisting that no one has come from God, yet the Dajjal Antichrist has indeed appeared. Show me any Christian cleric now who says that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, made no prophecy. Remember that time has long since passed before me. Now the time has come when God desires to demonstrate that the messenger Muhammad of Arabia, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who has been vilified and denigrated, and in whose rejection the unfortunate Christian clerics have written and published millions of books in this age, is truthful, and indeed the chief of the truthful. 
he was vehemently rejected, but in the end, it was this very messenger who was bestowed the crown of honor. I am one of his servants and subordinates to whom God speaks and converses and upon whom the gate of the divine mysteries and signs has been opened. Footnote start. There is a revealed couplet about this. Beyond fancy and imagination is the glory of Ahmad wasallam, whose servant, you can see, is the Messiah of the age. Footnote. And, O oh, ye ignorant ones, you may allege it to be disbelief or whatever else you like, but what value can your denunciations have in the eyes of one who, under divine command, is constantly engaged in the service of the faith and witnesses divine bounties pouring like rain? The same God who descended upon the heart of Ibn Maryam, the son of Mary, has descended on my heart too, but in greater glory he was a human being, and I am a human too. Just as sunshine falls upon a wall, but the wall cannot claim to be the sun, similarly the two of us cannot draw any conclusion about the personal merit of our own selves, because the real sun can say, What merit do you have apart from me? Try to go away and see. Similarly, Isa, Jesus, said on one occasion that he was the Son of God and on another, as alleged by the Christians, he walked behind Satan. Had he possessed any intrinsic light, he would not have suffered this trial. Can Satan ever tempt God? Since Isa was human, he experienced trials peculiar to human beings. His supplications, too, lacked authority. Just like a human being, he merely made humble and respectful submissions to the Divine Majesty. This is why he wept so profusely during his supplication in the Garden of Gethsemane that his clothes were soaked with tears. Yet despite this, according to Christians, that prayer was still not accepted. But I say that it was indeed accepted, and God saved him from the cross. He merely entered the tomb like Yunus, Jonah, and like Yunus he entered alive and came out alive. His weeping and the melting of his soul was like death itself. Such supplications like the one offered by Ibn Maryam the son of Mary in the garden, are accepted. Footnote start. It seems to me that Prophet Isa must have seen some dream about his crucifixion and dreaded that in the event of his crucifixion, the mischievous Jews would impute to him the stigma of being accursed. This is why he prayed vehemently, and that prayer was accepted. God changed that destiny such that apparently he was put on the cross and was even interned in the tomb. But like Eunice, he entered alive and came out alive. Prophets are ever so brave. He was never afraid of the wretched Jews. Footnote end. It is not easy to supplicate in that exalted threshold. Supplication is a veritable death. So first annihilate yourself, then go for supplication. 120th sign. The Almighty manifested for me a sign regarding Anjuman Himayat Islam. Lahore. Since Mufti Muhammad Sadiq, editor of the newspaper Badr, is the prime witness to this sign, the letter written by his own hand is produced below as evidence. Letter of Mufti Muhammad Sadiq In the name of Allah, the gracious and merciful, we praise him and invoke his blessings upon his noble messenger. My holy master, mentor, and guide, the promised Messiah and Mahdi, may Allah's blessings, peace, mercy, and bounties be upon you. Sir, I submit to the best of my knowledge that when the book Ummatul Mu'minin, Mothers of the Faithful, was published by the Christians in April 1898, 
the members of Anjuman Nehemiah Islam Lahore sent a memorial to the government to the effect that the publication of this book be stopped and its author, who has penned such a filthy book, be required to show cause. In those days, I was employed in the Accountant General's office at Lahore and it happened to briefly visit Gadian. I can recall well this memorial being mentioned in Huzur's presence as Huzur was proceeding to the garden for a stroll in the company of quite a few people, including Hazrat Malvi Muhammad Ali M.A. Huzur said, It was an error on the part of the Anjuman. I am very much opposed to this memorial. Accordingly, Huzur sent a dissenting note to the government in the form of a memorial and also published it on May 4, 1898, against which the Anjuman raised a great hue and cry and wrote articles in the press in repudiation of Huzur's point of view. One of those days when Huzur went out for a walk, Huzur had said, Regarding this conduct on the part of Anjuman Himayat Islam Lahore, I have received this revelation. You will soon recall my admonition, I commit my cause to Allah. In his translation and commentary, Hazur had said, The Anjuman will shortly recall my statement that the kind of approach they have adopted is bound to fail. As for the position I have taken, namely, to rebut and answer the objections raised by the opponents, I resign the matter to God Almighty. In other words, God will be the patron of my effort. But the Anjuman people will never succeed in their intent to get the author of Ummatul Mu'mineen punished. They will only recall afterwards that what they had been told in advance was factual and correct. When I turned to Lahore a couple of days after listening to this revelation, as usual a public meeting was held in the mosque situated in Gumdi Basar, Lahore, where I used to give a report of my visit to Qadian. So I related this revelation of Azul and its explanation to a large number of people. I had hardly finished when someone brought the news that the Anjuman had received the lieutenant governor's reply that their memorial had been rejected and that the author of the booklet Umatul Mu'mineen could not be prosecuted under the law. This news break greatly reinforced the faith of all those present in the meeting and they all praised God Almighty for his wondrous ways. The writer, most humble servant of yours, Muhammad Sadiq. 121st Sign in the days when the earthquake of April 4, 1905 struck, I had been told by God Almighty that it was not just one earthquake and there would be more earthquakes. This is why, by way of precaution, I, along with my family members and most of my Jamaat members, shifted to the garden and stayed there in two marquees in a large open ground. During those days, my wife fell seriously ill and was suffering from constant fever that was accompanied by cough. She was under the treatment of my sincere friend Mavi Hakim Nuruddin, but no improvement was felt. Things came to such a pass that she became almost immobile. In the evenings, her lady attendants made her sit on a cot and carried her to the marquee, and in the mornings, they would carry her back to the garden. She was getting weaker and weaker by the day. Eventually, I fervently prayed and received the revelation, meaning that, my Lord God is with me. He shall presently inform me what the disease is and also about its treatment. Within a few minutes of this revelation, it was put in my heart that her illness was due to the inflammation of the liver and that the prescription set out in the book Shifa al-Asqam would be helpful for it. The prescription was prepared. It was in the shape of tablets. After she had taken three or four tablets, I saw in my dream one morning that a person named Abdul Rahman entered our home and he stopped and said that the fever is broken. 
It is a wonderful manifestation of the providence of Allah that no sooner had I seen the dream than I checked her pulse only to find no trace of the fever. Then I received the following revelation. Since you came to my mansion time after time, then did God send down the rain of mercy or not? Many people are witness to this prophecy as well. Whoever wishes may ask them. 122nd sign. Some 30 years ago, I saw in a dream once that there was a raised platform which looked like a shop. Perhaps it had a roof too. An extremely handsome boy aged about seven was sitting there. It occurred to me that he was an angel. I do not remember whether he called me or whether I went up to him on my own. But when I stood close to the platform, he handed over to me a refined and shining loaf of bread that was very large as if equal to the size of four regular loaves and said, Take this loaf. It is for you and for the dervishes, mendicants, who are with you. Thus, ten years later, this dream was fulfilled. If someone with an unbiased heart were to come and stay in Gadian, he would find that twice a day we receive from the unseen the same bread the angel had given. Many a person with families fed here twice a day. Many of the blind, crippled, and indigent carry their meals twice daily from the Langarkhana community kitchen. Guests converge here from all over. The average number of those who eat twice a day here at this langar is 200, and at times 300, sometimes even more. This does not include the cost of the other requirements of hospitality. Despite exercising extreme frugality, the average monthly cost is 1,500 rupees, and this is in addition to other expenses. I have been witnessing this divine miracle for 20 years, namely that we are supplied with this bread out of the unseen. We do not know where it will come from the next day, but nevertheless it does come. The disciples of Hazrat Isa had prayed to God to grant them their daily bread, but the benevolent God has been bestowing our daily bread upon us even without our asking. Just as the angel had announced, this bread is for you and for the dervishes who are with you. So does God himself send this feast for me and my dervishes daily. Thus, every day a new feast from him is a new sign for us. 123rd sign. Once a Hindu gentleman, whose name I do not recall, came to Gadian. Footnote start. I now recall his name was Swami Shuganchandath. Footnote end. He said he wanted me to convene a religious conference and requested me to write an article about the beauties of my religion to be read out at the conference. Footnote start. The name advertised for this conference was Dharam Mahotso Jalsai Azame Mazahib, Conference of the Great Religions. Footnote end. At first I demurred, but he insisted that I must write. I know that I cannot do anything on my own strength. Indeed, I do not have any strength at all. I can't speak unless God makes me speak, nor can I see anything unless he makes me see. I therefore pray to God that he may reveal to me a discourse that may triumph over all the speeches of that conference. After this supplication, I found that a strength had been breathed into me. I felt in me a stirring of this heavenly power. My friends who were present at the time know that I did not write any preliminary draft of this discourse. Whatever I wrote, I wrote extempore, and I was writing with such speed and haste that the copyist found it hard to keep pace with me. When I finished writing the discourse, I received this revelation from God Almighty. The paper has been declared supreme. Thus, when that dissertation was read out in that conference, the audience was in ecstasy while it was being read out, and applause was heard from every direction. So much so that the Hindu gentleman who presided over the conference could not help exclaiming, 
This paper has been declared supreme over all others. An English newspaper, the Civil and Military Gazette, which is published from Lahore, also published its testimony that the paper transcended all others. About 20 Urdu newspapers also gave the same testimony. With the exception of a few prejudiced individuals, it was on every tongue in that conference that this paper had triumphed. To this day, there are hundreds of people who continue to give the same testimony. Thus, with the testimony of every sect, as well as of the English newspapers, my prophecy, the paper transcended all others, was fulfilled. This challenge was like the one that Prophet Musa al-Islam, Moses, had to take up against the sorcerers, for in this conference, exponents of different schools of thought delivered speeches about their respective faiths. Some were Hindus of Sanat and Dharam, or Arya Samaj. Some were Brahmus, some were Sikhs, some were Muslims who oppose us. All of them had turned their staffs into imaginary snakes, but when God unleashed the rod of Islam's truth against them in the form of a pure and profound discourse, it turned into a python and devoured all of them. To this day, people are all praised for the discourse that had issued from my mouth. So Allah be praised for all this. 124th sign. When I was writing Brahina Ahmadiyya, people were not inclined towards me at all, nor was I well known in the world. I happened to have an acute need for funds for which I prayed to God. It was then that I received this revelation, meaning that money will most assuredly come after 10 days. Nothing will come before it. The help of God is near, and just as when the she-camel raises her tail to deliver, her delivery is imminent, so close indeed is Allah's help. Then God said a sentence in English that when the amount is received after 10 days, then will you go to Amritsar? I communicated this prophecy to the three Hindus, namely Sharampad, Malawamal, and Bashandas, all of whom are Aryas, and told them to remember that the money would arrive by mail, and that for 10 days nothing would arrive by mail. In addition to these Hindus, quite a few Muslims were also apprised of this prophecy beforehand to make it well known, for this prophecy had two unique features. One, it was categorically stated that nothing would come for 10 days and that on the 11th day, money would arrive without delay and without pause. And two, the other peculiar feature was that with the arrival of the money, it would so happen that I would have to go to Amritsar. Thus did this marvelous sign of God's providence appear that for ten days after receiving the revelation, not a single penny arrived. The above-mentioned Ariyaz visited the post office daily to investigate. In those days, the sub-postmaster also happened to be a Hindu. When the eleventh day dawned, it was a day of odd spectacle for these Ariyaz. They so eagerly waited for the prophecy to turn out to be false. Some of them went to the post office and returned, looking rather glum. They said that Muhammad Aftar Khan, a superintendent of settlement, Ravel Bindi, had seen 110 rupees, and so had another gentleman remitted 20 rupees. In short, 130 rupees in all were received and sufficed for the needs of that time. On the same day that this amount was received, a summons from the summary court Amritsar was also delivered to me to appear as a witness. As I have stated, many people are witness to the fulfillment of this prophecy. A reference to the postal register Qadian will also bear out that for a full 10 days prior to the date on which these 130 rupees were received, no money order worth a penny is on record against my name in the aforesaid register.
Again, if you study the office record of the summary court Amritsar of the same date, you will find my deposition there in the file of the lawsuit about one Rajab Ali, a Christian missionary. This sign was manifested in the year 1884 CE. Under the same reference, the postal register can be examined, and under the same reference, my deposition in the summary court Amritsar can be traced. In case the Hindu witnesses refuse to testify, they may be obliged to speak the truth on the oath. This prophecy is recorded on pages 469 and 470 of Brahina Ahmadiyya, and the names of these ariyas are referred to. Footnote start. This reference text appears in Rouhani Khazain, Volume 1, page 559 to 561, published in 2008. Footnote end. If those people did not happen to be the eyewitnesses to this prophecy, it doesn't stand to reason that they should have remained silent for so long, despite being extremely hostile. Why did they remain silent from 1884 CE until now, 1906 CE, despite the knowledge that in my books and pronouncements I have repeatedly written their names as witnesses? It was their right to refute all the testimonies concerning them as recorded in Brahina Ahmadiyya. It must be remembered that three Hindus are mentioned in Brahina Ahmadiyya as witnesses of the prophecies. First of all is Lala Sharampai Khatri, second is Lala Malawamul Khatri, and third is Bishandas Brahman. Wherever the term Ariyaz occurs in Brahina Ahmadiyya, these alone are meant. Others too are meant elsewhere. Furthermore, this prophecy contains an English sentence, which is also a sign in my favor, as I do not know English at all. By stating this prophecy in Urdu, Arabic, and English, God has fully laid bare its intent. It is a great sign indeed, but only for those whose eyes are not blinded by prejudice.